we just praise you this morning and oh God you are so good you are so loving and kind God when I think of what you have done to give us your son to invite us into relationship with you God to give us an advocate a paraclete someone who pleads our case before the judge you father you want us to walk in the freedom and the purity for the purpose of deeper closer relationship i just um i thank you for oh that worship song that carrie job sings called speak to me such a great song and one of the lines says you're closer than our flesh god you are you just desire to to just be so to permeate our every part of our being so that we can just um be more like you and i just thank you for that god you are oh we could just we could just really spend the next 4 hours just worshiping you god because yes. of what even that we're going to discuss this morning really is is one of the beautiful things you offer because of who you are So we just praise you for that. We worship you. And God, I ask um that it really Shannon just said it but God that you would open the eyes of our understanding in wisdom and revelation, God. Yes. Like Ephesians tells us that that you would illuminate our spirit eyes to receive what you have for us this morning, God. That may be something completely different for each of us. because you meet us at the point of our need you meet us at the point of our questions at the point of our of our um desperation at the point of our growth in you god so i just pray holy spirit i just invite you we know you're here where two or three are gathered you are in our midst but we invite you to take charge we invite you to take um the reins we we give that to you of our free will that you would just um open our eyes and and I just uh, I just ask God for you to unlock the the ears that we wouldn't just be listening but that we would truly hear with understanding of your holy spirit what it is that you want us to gain from this morning God we know that that humanly speaking our minds only retain about 10% of what is said in about a 2 hour time frame of of uh, words being spoken but God you through your spirit can just give us capacity for so much more. Yes. And I just praise you for that. And so I just thank you. I thank you God that on a Saturday when so many other things could be uh we could be investing our time into God that we are just hungry for you and I thank you for each person here, yes. each person that will be here. Father, I ask that you just uh release additional, I just release additional warring angels to to fight in the divine pathway to get those here who are facing obstacles uh of any kind any impediment to their being here God I ask you remove it in Jesus name and that um that you would just bring everyone here that needs to receive from you this morning we love you and we thank you and uh we pray this in Jesus name and father we pray your protection over this place in Jesus name and release warring angels to surround this place to protect your will being done father it is our desire and we declare your will be done 
in this place as you have already ordained it in heaven. And so I command demonic spirits on this property to be immediately bound in Jesus' name and cast away in Jesus' name. Purify this place, Father. Keep it a place where nothing is distracting, nothing at all. And I continue the warning to any witchcraft. You know what will happen if you do that. It will cost you your life if you bring any distraction to this place this morning. I declare that in Jesus' name. And I release an archangel to carry out the Father's will on that behalf. And Father, just uh, give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see. Your will being done. In Jesus' name, amen. Right before the binding and the I casting, I dumped my copy into my Bible. So oh, that was not any, any questions or anything needs to be repeated into the microphone so it'll pick up on the recording. Okay. Let me make sure I get rid of this additional copy here. I think it was mostly on me. I do not believe it Uh, so I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open with um, some things that the Lord has given, and I will certainly tell you we are we are so thankful for what God has been teaching us. But this is we're just still learning and learning more and more. This is not this is just the beginning of where God is taking this court idea, um, and it is. There are some scriptures, what we'd like to do in these two meetings is, if you have a pad of paper that you can jot a couple of notes down, you may want to do that. And the reason I want to, we're going to give you a handout next week, but if you want to jot down some references, I want you to be able to identify in scripture where some of these paradigms are, because that's what I want to kind of lay out in in this um, kind of foundational introduction here, is to have the right paradigm and the right lens through which you're seeing some of the concerns that you have in your own life. You want to be able to see them in the Word of God for yourself and not just uh, be learning from you know, the perspective of, of a lecture from another human being. So, um, so we're just going to trust in Jesus' name. I hope I got all the rest of the copy. My precious pages of my Bible. I, I love the old school Bible. I know I see everybody's technology, but it's... You will I receive love the, the extra energy. I love the rustling of pages. <laughs> see, if you, want to kiss a, if you want to kiss a Bible verse in Scripture, which I love to do sometimes when things bless me, if I kiss my phone, at other times, that same section of my phone could be something else that's not kissable. So. <laughs> it's, uh, anyway, that's a weird thing to say. But. Alright, here we go. Um... I asked the Lord to, to just show me what, what was the, the base paradigm. And, and the thing I want, where I want to start us is in a very familiar verse, which is Ephesians 6.12. The war and the battle that we're in as Christians is not human-centered. We know that we wage a war not of this world in the human sense. 
And even though we know that, I, I learned that verse as a child, and I had no idea the, the scope of what it really was saying. So when you look at Ephesians 12, we know if we wrestle not against six flesh 12. and blood. Did I say 6.12? Well, you just said 12, but Sorry. chapter 6. Chapter 12. 6, verse 12. When we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Um, and I want to give you a different translation of it. Um, so that's why I'm just doing it right now in the King James. Um, which I love, and that goes on to talk about the armor, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, this particular definition was given by Derek Prince, and I really liked this definition, and he just kind of expanded it from other, from various Bible translations. And he says, for our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies, that first phrase is one of the, the paradigms that we need to have. We need to understand that our spiritual war is not with persons with bodies. And once you recognize that, you'll be able to know how to direct your fight. Um, and that, that's true for our own freedom. It's true for relational conflict. Because many of us are in one or more relational conflicts. And you have to be able to see that you're ultimately not fighting with persons with bodies but against rulers with various areas and descending orders of authorities. There is a very, God created his kingdom, and, and it's scripture is very clear that there is the kingdom of heaven, but there's, Satan also has a kingdom. When he left and he fell, he, he created a counterfeit kingdom. The reason his kingdom is so organized is not because he created it that way. It is because he copied God's creation of an orderly kingdom. So he has set up a strategy of descending orders of authority. He only copied it after the fall. Okay, so against world, the world dominators of present darkness. And that's the last thing that, that I want to emphasize on this. And remember, domination, any kind of domination or takeover is always of the enemy. God, God's desire is not to dominate he, he always will work with our will, whereas Satan definitely seeks to totally dominate. So, um, so we, have to, uh, we have to understand that there are the two kingdoms, and of course God does not mean that there is any match. God's kingdom is far supreme over Satan's kingdom, but we just need to understand that, that he does work with it, um, with, a, with a kingdom. And then um, there's... We're, not, we're actually at war with a spirit realm that has influence over the thoughts and values of even a culture. I just want to say that at the beginning because when we get into why things continually come against us that we fight for in the courts, we have to understand that the strategies of Satan are not just individual, but they, when you, depending on where you are, there is a regional power that can influence the thoughts and the actions of a culture. That's why you see particular strongholds in certain regions that are different and or stronger in some areas than others. Some are permeated with a high, intense sexual perversion in some areas. Others are permeated by witchcraft. And yes, they're all part of the kingdom of darkness. So, But, but there are certain regions that are really affected by, um, by the higher powers. So there are different levels. 
Okay, so everything. And by the way, I want to I want to just say this right out of the gate. You you guys know about Robert Henderson's book, The Courts of Heaven. Okay, it is an excellent book, and there are certain things sometimes that authors will say, just like when people are speaking. I think that that Robert Henderson has an amazing heart. I think his desire is to want people to have freedom. There may be some things in his book that you statements you may disagree with. We've heard people that have just been like, "Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with him on that." Just because we recommend an author or a book doesn't mean on every single line that there's full agreement on how they've come across. Although sometimes what we find out when you get to know an author is that sometimes how something came across in the way they wrote it isn't even necessarily their heart in certain areas. So I do recommend the book. It breaks down the idea of the courts, but it also is um, is something that I, I highly recommend. Greg did a series from that that I know um, I loved the courts of heaven that, that Robert Henderson did. But in in the the stage that Ignition was in and how God was teaching us things, I'm telling you, the Spirit was so heavy on the courts messages that he did that you could pull up on the podcast. So I think you you could go you know can go to YouTube for all of Robert Henderson's or you can go or both. But I really recommend you to um, go to Greg's messages only because that's going to be his messages are where we're going to give you the outline from. So you might find it a little easier as you're going through to to see that. Um, a critical understanding is that all heaven and earth operate within a court system. Everything is a court system. That is, uh, and there are many scriptures on that. From Daniel seven is a great one. Daniel seven nine through fourteen is a great picture of heaven's courts. I just was reading that this morning, and it was like, wow, it was awesome. Daniel seven, and also Zechariah three, the beginning of that chapter, Zechariah three. That's where you see that Jesus is our advocate. Okay, in the Greek, it's Paraclete. You know, he pleads. He the, to plead our cause before the judge is so amazing. And we'll get into this a little later, but our words are what we speak. Our words, they dictate the warfare that we're in. There's great, great power in our words. And um, and so when we're looking at the courts, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, There's, like I said, there's so little time, but yet you want to really do a study on the foundation of um, understanding the concept of the courts. Because, see, once you understand that as a... As a fundamental paradigm, then operating in your own life for your own freedom or for fighting for your family's freedom, it's much easier to understand how to, how to do that when you see things through the lens of the courts. A place that's a great example that is um, where you see a conflict that it'll begin um, in the courtroom, but then it, will, it plays out in the battlefield is on, in Luke 18. Luke 18, 1 through 8 is where you see the woman and the unjust judge. And I'm going to let you read that on your own because we can't take time for all these other side things. But that's a great example of Jesus is teaching and he used that, that parable. That was in Luke 18. If you need a repeat of any reference, just shoot your hand up. But that is a great place where you see Jesus said, well, your father, you know, who's perfect, not much more so speedily bring justice for you. Okay, if an unjust judge is willing to do that for her, God will do it that much faster. Now, Satan can only do what he's allowed to do in the courts. 
we know that he is the accuser of the brethren. We know that from, from Revelation 12 and um, a couple of other references. But we know he's an accuser, and he can only do what the court of heaven allows him to do. Examples of that are found in three main references, uh, 1 Samuel 19, 2 Corinthians 12, and Luke 22. But I don't know if you want all those right now. We're going to just add a word in there. We'll he can only do with authority. With authority, exactly. Yes, yes. This is what I'm talking about in terms of him having the right, right. to do. Yes, thank you. I was going to say, make sure he interrupts me every time. The last two references. The last two. So we have First Samuel that is nineteen, okay, nine and ten. Then we have Second Corinthians twelve, two through nine, and then Luke twenty-two. That's the one that's interesting. Luke twenty-two, thirty-one and thirty-two, and that was when, of course, Satan demanded to sift Peter. So that's a really interesting um, scripture. But these are where you see. See, Satan is always looking for a way to get a right to our life. Mm -hmm. And he's looking for a legal right to keep us from our book. And so part of what God gave us, and, and this, this is something that we, ha we assume, and we talked about this this morning, you fundamentally understand that what Jesus paid for is huge. Now, you know, that's a whole other message. There are so many side points to the Christian life that are other messages. But Jesus paid for our freedom. To, he came to set the captive, captives free. And so he, he always makes a way for our freedom. But because he's given us free will, there is a choice not to. And then, of course, Satan's there to try to make that harder. But one of the things that, that the Lord showed me that was exciting is when you start to look at how hard Satan fights us, and how many opportunities he takes as a thief and with his authority, and then you see his kingdom, and then you see the different levels of rulers, you can either become overwhelmed and discouraged, feeling that I'm never going to get out of this, I'm never going to get through this. Or you can be very excited that if you believe at all that God is bigger than that, then we have an awesome God. And that is... Um, something that's really important when it comes to the courts. There may be things that, humanly speaking, you're having a hard time grasping about freedom or how to wage war in the courts. But don't worry. By faith, as long as you know God is bigger than that, he will make a way for you to escape the, either the temptation, the affliction, the, the burden that you are under in whatever way. And, and that's what we're going to get to now. How? How does Satan get the right to demand to come after us. Um, there are really three main areas. Our own sin, okay, he gets the right when we sin because he, he's, he's accusing. If I'm accusing, if I'm trying to sue my brother, okay, I'm trying to take him to court to make his life miserable or because I just want to take something from him. If he is doing something against the law, it's a whole lot easier for me to take him before the judge and tell on him than it is if he's living righteously, right? Yeah. So our own sin can get us into trouble. Also, there's the generational sin, okay? And again, that gets into a lot of other back scriptures um, that will be in your outline when you get it next week, but that's obviously from Exodus 20, verse 5. That's from um, Joshua 6, 26. That's from 1 Kings 16. 
34, and also from 2 Kings 2. So again, don't, don't worry about all those. If you, if you want them, I can give them to you today, but that you'll have that in your paper um, next week. So our, our own sin, the sin of our fathers, the generational, and also our, our motive, which is, of course, seen in Job. But one thing I want to mention about our own sin. Satan, oh man, he just kicks us when we're down. And there are ways that the enemy comes into our lives that he will attach things to us inadvertently. Like he will use, he will even use things that come against us that we don't ever even want to come against us. Do you know how much authority that the enemy can seek to gain through trauma? That's why there's so much, I mean, he, he seeks to, to abort a life as early as conception. But when you think about how he tries to come against little ones through abuse of any kind, sexual or physical or mental, all kinds of ways, trauma is a, is a way that he uh, comes against us. And also, he will, he will take um, an unknowing, innocent interaction, and sometimes he'll gain authority through objects that we bring into our lives or into our homes and that, that are demonic in nature that we, wouldn't, we don't even know their origin, but, God, but Satan can use that. And that's why it's so important when you go before the Lord, you have to say, God, search me, know me, try me, see. I'm, I'm asking you to reveal to me. So this is Psalm 139, 23 and 24. See if there's any wicked way in me. See if there's something that can be used against me. And there's a lot of Christians that don't believe that there can be a demonic authority given, taking our lives to court, from just objects in our home that he has a right to because they are there. Some people don't believe that, that, that they think that's just ridiculous. Well, I, I want you to think about when false gods, you know, you look at all the false gods in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy talks about the fact that they became what they worshipped. And these false gods, it wasn't just an ideology in their heart or in their spirit. They created objects from this belief. That's why the Asherah poles were built. The little, like even now you see it in the Buddha statues. They actually, they, they form objects to worship as a, as a representation of the belief that they have. Um, if you ever have seen uh, what, what witches do to cast spells, they'll take certain objects and they'll form this, this demonic force to conjure things through objects. So it is very important that you, that you have a willingness to say, Lord, if there's anything impure in its origin that's in my home, I want to purge it out. I want to cleanse it. Sometimes it can be anointed and covered if it was maybe used for something demonic that wasn't demonic in its origin, and God will reveal that. Sometimes it just has to be destroyed. And so I want to encourage you that if you, um, if you have not taken that step, sometimes Satan, because he just, he, he can use, we've, we've had to destroy things that, you know, the Lord pointed out. And be, be excited. One of the things that he revealed to us was actually precious to Greg. This, uh, what do you call that? Oh, my, my silver. Well, that too, but the big, uh, the big fur thing we had on the wall. Oh, yeah. It was literally, it was literally a, um, looked like an Asherah pole shape, but it was a beautiful tapestry. It was a totem, totem something. 
There you go. Yes, it was a really interesting. So we, the Lord revealed that to us, that that was, was demonic in nature. It wasn't something that could be anointed. We tried to destroy it. I think it took us an hour to try to burn that thing. It would not burn. And I'm talking with pure gasoline on it. It would not light on fire. All the gasoline burned off and it just sat there. It was just, it was like, are you kidding me? So, but, you know, when God reveals something to purify your life, to purify your environment, get excited. He's wanting to remove from your world anything the enemy can use against you. And that is, that is a great thing. If we have attachments to things in this world, that might have sentimental value that we're unable to touch or that have a monetary value that we're unable to let go of, that's where we're going to get into trouble. And I know we've done that. Isaac was so great. We went to his home, and, and uh, the Lord led us there, and he was great about there were just different things, even things he didn't even know. A friend came over and gave him something, left it there. And, I mean, it was, it was a wonderful cleansing of their house that day. Was, you know, anyway. So just be Before aware of that. Go on, I wanted to say something. About this one? Uh, no, the... The bottom. Yes, the bottom. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I, I did want to say something um, about the motives. Okay. Because yeah. Sat- Satan does have a right to go after us for our motives. And, and that's, a, that's a hard one to really wrap your mind around. But if you don't have to go any further than the book of Job. To really understand that. Job is an amazing book, but when you really get into it, you you really think, wow, that's so unfair. You know, that, wow. Like, at the beginning of it, the setting is a courtroom. At the end of it, the setting is a courtroom. It all happens in the court, but what, what Satan is allowed to do is go after Job for the simple reason of his motives. All Satan said was, well, of course he loves you because you give him everything. Of course he loves you because you protect him, right? And, and so he was allowed to take away everything from Job. That's pretty harsh. And, and I know that growing up and whatever and talking to Bible teachers and stuff, it was like, well, yeah, that was really God that did that. No, that was something that was said in the courts. Because Satan had the right to say it. He had the right to test his faith. Why? Because God had proclaimed his faith. God had proclaimed his righteousness. It wasn't a matter of, of Job being a bad person and God bragging on him even though he was bad. No, he was a righteous man. That's what it said. And, and Satan said, well, yeah, but of course he is because you've given him everything. God, he said, okay, take it away. And he did. And Job still didn't turn. And he said, well, of course he hasn't turned, because when you affect a man's body, then he'll turn away from you. So he let him affect his body. He literally allowed him, because Satan had the right to test. That, that's a hard concept to get. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Satan had the right to to demand. It was no different than when Satan had the right to demand to sift Peter. Peter was one of the closest to Jesus. Right? Peter had had been part of his inner circle. And so Satan, it doesn't really tell the story, but Jesus said to Peter, he said, Satan has demanded to sift you. 
And Jesus didn't say, but I won't let him. Or the Father won't let him. No, he said, and you're going to be sifted. But guess what? I'm praying for you. And Father said, you'll be fine. And he was sifted. And, and he did go through some difficulty because he, he, going from, I will die for you, to, I don't even know you. That's the sifting. Now, I want to point out the reason why. Is because there was a declaration of faith in Peter's case. There was clearly a declaration of faith in Job's life for God to call him righteous. There was already declaration of faith. So Satan had the right to test that faith. So when we go through the courts, when we go through a cleansing in our life, and then we wonder why we're still dealing with junk, okay, but in a different way. It, it's like the junk isn't coming from within in, anymore, it's just bombarding us from outside. This is one of the reasons why, is because we live in permanent sinful flesh. We'll live in it until the day we're given our glorified body. Okay, So in that permanent flesh, Satan has a right then to test our faith. When, when, and it doesn't mean don't make a faith statement, don't grow in faith. No, because every time you grow in faith, you grow in power. To where those arrows, remember Ephesians 6, those arrows that come against you, as you grow in that faith and you grow in that power of God, they can't pierce you anymore. But don't be confused that, that well, the courts shouldn't give him any right to come after me anymore. No, he, he will, as long as you're in sinful flesh. Revelation 12 says that he will accuse you day and night. Now, it doesn't mean that all those accusations will hold water. In fact, I think that he accuses many things that don't. But there are some that he has the right to do. So I, I just want to point no, out that. No, that actually reminds me of what I wanted to say at the very beginning, because the, the motivation of the courts can, it can trip you up if you have this warfare that hits you after the courts. It can trip you up by by believing the success of going through the courts. Because when you get hit with things afterwards, you might, you might think, okay, well, did that work? Did I really come out clean? Did I really have these issues? But um, did I really get over these issues? And we were actually talking about that um, earlier because I was re- remembering when I, got, I went through the courts and then I got hit with the same authority that I know was broken. And... It's because Satan wanted to, it, it was such a long-running one. It was, um, it was a, an issue of judgment that, that I had both had generationally, but then also struggled with in my legalistic upbringing, had in my own life of, I was, came from judgment, but then I was projecting and was judging others through legalism. So it was a heavy one that was broken, and, you know, and again, it's like, do you want to just break off an authority so that you don't deal with this oppressive, you know, like that, that, that authority was linked to a lot of insecurity, a lot of beating myself up, and I wanted to be free of that. That's a good thing. But is my motivation to just be free of it, or is my motivation to be free for a closer relationship with God? 
See, when it's to be free for a closer relationship with God, then when the test comes, I will prevail. And my strength will be greater in my relationship with God. So I was hit 24 hours. I mean, just this wave of every imaginable, you are insignificant, you are nothing, you, this is a joke, you are a joke. You know, what every criticism I'd ever heard my whole life just, I mean, it was, it, I could feel this, this invisible weight, like I was carrying around a weight. Finally, I eked out, and then, of course, with that, I felt like I couldn't say anything to Greg, because I was, you know, when you feel that weight, you also feel embarrassed, so you're not going to reach out to anybody. Finally, I just said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just, it's spiraling so strong and so low, it's going to a place where I don't want to be here in this world anymore, if you know what I mean, like, I want to be done. And then he said, they don't, he doesn't have a right, get rid of it, he doesn't have a right. And I just immediately thought, well, duh. And so, so my pride didn't let me deal with it in front of him. <laughs> so I went into the garage, and I've told you guys this story before, but it's, it's important because I went into the garage, and I, I took that, that belief that, yes, that authority was broken. So my first step was forgive me. Lord, forgive me for coming into agreement with that. That is absolutely not of you it was broken, you paid for it. The fact that it's affecting me means there's agreement. And so I asked for forgiveness, and that forgiveness broke his ability to affect it, and then my next step was casting it. And I'm telling you, when I cast it, the atmosphere lifted in a way that was palpable to my human body. I could feel the weight lift off of my human shoulders, and I had that freedom. And, and a righteous anger to go with it, of course, because I thought, wow, you know. So when we live in this, um, in this oppression that even if there is authority for him to have over us, God is giving us, through the understanding of the courts, he's giving us a way to break that off of us. Now, there are two different aspects of the courts. There is your personal freedom. And then there's how to intercede on behalf of others. Some of us, we, we want freedom. Like, I'll tell you, my motivation was dual. I wanted freedom for me, for ignition, for what God's called me to. But I wanted freedom for Brooke, my firstborn, and for Yvonne, my secondborn. I wanted freedom for them, but it had to break with me in terms of the generational curses. The rest of it... I knew in terms of influence, I just knew that when I walk in power, the atmosphere is different, and it does affect everyone around you. Do not think that your freedom does not impact your job, does not impact when you enter a store. The amount of power that, that you have through intimacy and, and your depth in, in your faith with God is, is incredible. But there is an intercession fight that you can take to court on behalf of people, your loved ones. I fight in the courts every single day for my brothers and my sisters, my human brothers and sisters, and their children and grandchildren, because I'm one of eight siblings. So I fight in the courts for them. And God is beginning, and we're not going to address this at all today, but God is beginning to teach Greg that, you know, based on the calling that he's called you to, and has to be based on how he leads, that God can take, that Greg can take into court um, even regions, nations, very specific authorities and principalities um, and plead the case to have those things overthrown by the kingdom of God. 
That's huge. And that's why that verse I read at the beginning with Derek Prince's kind of breakdown of the translation of it, that's why that's so key. There are levels of authority. And we need to understand that there is an entire strategy to keep us from our books environmentally, personally, and everything. So that's just really important. And your motivation, you know, when you talk about motivation, your motivation for going to the courts, Satan will test if it's selfish. Now, we don't know sometimes how selfish it may be. You're, you know, we've, we've shared that some, some people have gone to the courts for maybe freedom from anger, maybe freedom from, uh, oh, I know, I know there's generational curses, so I want to go to the courts to break these curses. That's not a bad reason, but that can't be the sum total of your motivation. Because that's not, when you're tested after the courts, that won't be enough to hold. Those curses do get broken. You will find freedom, and you will if, if the Father gives you a clean um, verdict of, of pure, you know, righteous verdict at the end. You have that, but the test comes in what comes afterwards. What was the motivation? If you go to the court to break a history of anger, to break, you know, whatever a, a and the insecurity that leads you to suicidal thoughts. All these things that come against us. If you are just going for that freedom, it's almost like I'm going to go to the courts to manipulate a, re a relief of torment in my life that I just want so that I can feel good. That is not the goal. God brings us that as a byproduct of relationship with him. But that, that motivation of your heart is not going to hold up when you get hit again. Because... It's all about, the courts really is all about um, a freedom to go into our books that he's destined for us, but, but with him, not apart from him. You can't take the principles of the court, extract it, work them over here with God over here. It's everything God does is relational. It's relational. He invites us into relationship. And, um, and every part of the relationship is a process. So that's why we have to be careful even with prophetic words. You know, when we're told something wonderful is going to happen, we then step into, that gets tested by faith. We believe that. We step into a process of, of faith and believing him and, and, and even beginning to, um, to pray into what God needs to develop in us in character so that that seed will, will come into fruition and, and produce fruit, right? So, okay. Um, so I want to encourage you, for those of you that have struggled after the courts, um, God has really laid on my heart that there may be objects that need to be gotten rid of. There were even pieces of jewelry that both Greg and I have destroyed because of the origin of what they stand for. Uh, an example is, um, what's the example, Brooke? You know that I'm talking about the um, that, what's dream catchers. Dream catchers. Um, I love, as you can see, big earrings. Some of them um, that are actually shaped with, uh, you know, the round circle. There are dream catchers that they have feathers on the bottom, and they're beautiful. But they are absolutely—they were—they're de designed to catch demonic spirits, and they symbolize something that's demonic in origin. And so, you know, you you have to ask the Lord. Never let an, a revelation of how Satan's kingdom works. Never let that cause a paranoia to you where you feel like, oh my goodness, well, I don't know. I mean, I, it could be anything in my house. I don't know. I mean, that's fear. Paranoia is fear. 
understand that God is for you, not against you. He will reveal what needs to be gotten rid of in your life, in your house. He will reveal it. You can't walk around with the burden of captivity. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants you to be fearful that there's something in your house. The next time you're tested with something, you're thinking, because there's something in my house. I know there is. I just don't know what to do. Don't ever react with fear. Just go to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what do I need to do? You know, we know when, when we travel, um, uh, if we're in a hotel room, it's not a paranoia of what's in the room, but we know based on Satan's strategies and Satan's kingdom that we always anoint the room. We pray a cleansing over the room. It, does, it takes a few minutes, but when you see everything in life through the lens of the fact that our battle is not with persons with bodies. If you came into your hotel room, you went down, you know, travel, let's say you went to Rehoboth for a weekend, you, you go into your hotel room. If there was a bunch of crooks in there, humanly, would you not want to get them out? Yeah, it's like, oh, hey, guys, let's, can you move over a little bit? This is where I'm going to be sleeping. Of course, you, you, you'd want to call security. You'd want to go, hey, somebody's in our room. Well, when the Lord shows you in the spirit realm those things, you deal with that because that's where your real battle is. And everything we see, every time we interact with people, we, we have to recognize, first of all, what do we host? Are we hosting the presence of God through his Holy Spirit? Are we carriers of the kingdom of God, which is the Holy Spirit through us, to the world around us? That's what he wants from us in walking in the Spirit. And, and so when we did that recently in a hotel room, it's not a paranoia. It's not, a, let's go in and be fearful of what's in this room. Let's just get it out because God's bigger. Let's clear it, let's cleanse it, and, and let's move on. So as he reveals ways for you to be clear of things, free of things, it's never. Don't, if you ever start to feel overwhelmed at how the kingdom of darkness can come, oh, there's just so many ways he can come against me. There's, oh my goodness, but what about the principalities? What about the lower level rulers? That's when you know that's not of God. None of that emotion, that reaction is of God. There's only confidence in him. The more I have seen the darkness of Satan, the more I've seen what a huge God. Our our questions should never be, God, why is this happening? Why, why? Why questions are victim, defeatist mentalities. We we do it. We, We catch ourselves often saying, why? No, it's God, what do you want me to do? Or God, what is it you want to reveal about yourself in what I'm going through right now? What are you wanting me to see right now that I'm not seeing? Those are the questions he can work with. The why questions, it's like what psychologists say about little children. You don't say to a three-year-old, why did you do that? Do you know they don't have the capacity to reason or articulate with why they just dumped your jello salad into the toilet? You know, that they stole from the, you know, they just, they don't, I don't know, uh, it looked fun, you know, and I, I don't know, you know, they don't, they don't know how to articulate. The why of things happening to us, we don't always have the capacity to understand the whole scope of what's going on. So that's not the question to ask. God can't, he can't answer anything, it's not about can, but he knows that's not the answer we're looking for. It's really, we just want to know, God, what's going on? Well, how can I know more of you in this situation? And when you ask those kinds of questions, we'll be able to see he is bigger than any strategy that will come against us. So again, quickly moving on, because I want to be able to answer some questions for you today. 
um, that will take us in various directions, perhaps. Um, but the our sin, the sin of our fathers, and the motivations. Okay, so then, let me just mention this. When we pray, well, first of all, the two, the two little scriptures that are so great from the book of John that I just want you to, to have down. John 14, 26. Man, just memorize that. That is so good. That's the Holy Spirit. He's here to teach us everything. John 14, 26, and then John 16, 7 through 15. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He will reveal. He will convict us. You know, when you're waking up every day and asking God what David did in Psalm 139, search me, try me, know me, he doesn't always do it in one fell swoop because of our place in our growth. He will reveal things a step at a time. And um, there's, there's just things he's revealing every day. Uh, and I had shared that. There were television shows. Yep, you're done with that one. You know, Or that little habit. Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been meaning to talk with you about that, but you weren't quite ready. Didn't mean you were out of my favor. It's just today we're going to address this. See, God doesn't see us through the lens of condemnation. He sees us through the lens of what we aren't yet that he wants to come and fill. He's, he's building us and growing us to the next level. So when we get to that next level, then we encounter all these other things that we can find out about him. So whenever we pray, every time we pray, I should say, we are entering into his courts. You know, when the scriptures in Psalms enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. We're always engaging in the court system in prayer. And that's why... Our words are really important. I'm going to give you an example of our words being critical that actually undermine the success in the courts. Let's say you are interceding. You've gone through the courts, but you're interceding on behalf of your child or your parents or whoever. If you go before the Father in prayer and you ask for freedom for them, you ask for the demonic scales to come off their eyes, the religious spirit to break off of them, I pray that a lot. If you then, in conversation, turn and go, oh, yeah, man, I tell you, I was talking to my brother the other day, and I don't know that he is ever going to get it. What is wrong? I mean, he just doesn't. Get... I am taking what I brought to court. If you don't think the enemy is listening to me, do you know that my slander, while I may not be aware of it, Satan's, the demonic forces will take the accusation of my own words Back to court to keep my brother bound in the very thing that I'm interceding in the courts to get him free from. So we have to be careful. It does not mean that we cannot share a concern with a brother or sister. And this, I'm, I'm going to say nothing about stealth. I'm going to leave all that to you if you want to say anything about stealth. But we want to be careful that when we have to speak of a burden that we're fighting for for somebody, because there are real issues that sometimes you need to go to a human brother or sister, like in James 5.16, confess your faults to one another, that you may be healed. Sometimes we have to address things. But when we say off the cuff something that solidifies that, oh, they're just, I'll tell you what, they'll ever get a clue. If they ever get a brain fill in their head. What, you know, whatever it is. Satan uses that, takes that up. Did you see? Yes, I heard. I'm taken before the throne. Casey keeps praying for her parents, but yesterday she said da-da-da-da. And she might not even know. I've said things I don't even know about it. The Lord still 
has to clean up my speech when things, you know, because when you get frustrated, you're praying for somebody, and their lives seem to go in the opposite direction. That's true even, by the way, of yourself. But when it seems to go in the opposite direction, it's easy to just spout the, what you see humanly instead of continue to go, okay, I know that, but God, you know what I'm asking you for, so I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you they're going to change around. It's the same thing with yourself. When you disparage yourself to yourself, your own words can condemn you. Yes. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Yes. Our tongue is so critical. It is so critical. And um, boy, if we even had the time, which we don't, I'd rabbit trail on what God has done to just speech through this Leviathan kind of spirit that is um, linked to the, to the alligator and all the teeth. It's just an interesting spiritual parallel. But what's happening with the slander and the, the, even the manipulation of, of our words today to come against the leaders of our nation, to come against uh, all the seven mountains, all the seven mountains, to try to really keep it in Satan's kingdom. And it, it's just, that's another story. Okay, so we've been given authority in the court, and that one is from Zechariah 3, 1 through 7. We've been given authority in the court, and from 1 Peter 2, 9, we, which is where we made kings and priests. We probably know that one. Um, the courts of heaven. You know, I've got to end this here. Let me, let me see if I can make this really concise. The courts of heaven, every time we're in the courts, the Father's desire is to get us into our books, to walk in that Jeremiah 29 11 purpose. Okay, so everything he rules is in favor of us receiving our full book. Okay. Now, there's a lot of scripture on that. Um, but his desire is for us to fulfill what he created us to be, right? He designed, he wrote about us. He created a book for us before the foundations of the earth. He, he had plans for us. So everything in the court is for the Father to, to judge us in conjunction with the, the, um, the books that, that he's written. And so that's why um, we need to come before the Father with um, understanding that in these accusations, we have to agree, and you know the same as scripture in Matthew 25, or excuse me, 525, that you want to agree with your adversary quickly. Never try to argue. People that go to the courts that aren't, don't have a motivation of surrender, their case is cut short pretty quick. Because when an accusation comes and the reaction is like, well, no, that, no. That's not, it's different if it doesn't resonate with you. But what I'm saying is if you like, yeah, I don't, if the, let's say that, let's say the accusation is, is judgment. No, I've, I've never, I don't, that's, that's not my problem. I don't, I don't have that. If the Lord is bringing something to your mind that needs to be confessed, then in the courts, as Greg always explains, they can't lie in the courts. And so we need to agree to get forgiveness, not agree to be condemned, but agree to be free. And, um, and I'm, I'll let him expound on that a little bit because um, that gets into the, the line of condemnation. The last thing, let me, let me just say this. Obedience is the key to intimacy and closeness with the Lord. Tons of scriptures on that. Um, but this, you can't strive towards the purity and the freedom that that the Lord will give you in his court. And he provides a way. This is this system... 
He's given it to us in a systematic way, but it's not a system that ignition came up with or that any humans came up with. This is just taking what is offered in the word in a systematic way for you to be able to grasp, to gain freedom. And that's why there are so many foundational paradigms that we need to understand about what Jesus paid for. He paid for our freedom. The power of his name and the blood of Jesus is so significant in the court. And those of us that have been through the courts, you know that when you are able to get forgiveness, which is promised in 1 John 1, 9, and then through the blood and name of Jesus, you can cast that authority away, that is not just a, a, a situation of practice in that court session. That is the way we live every day. If today somebody hurts my feelings and I leave here agreeing with what they said or agreeing with the spirit of offense that often comes when somebody hurts you and you get offended. You can let God's grace pour over that, let God's love pour over that, or you can decide, okay, that's fine. I knew she never liked me. I just All of a sudden, the spirit of offense, if I agree with the spirit of offense, I can take that, and if you don't deal with that, Satan works like gangs. He never, there are never single demonic spirits. They work in strategies. Fear and doubt love each other, by the way. They just hang out together. There's just, there's so many of them that work together. So when you are living daily, I have to take that agreement with that offense and do what? The same thing I did in the courts. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for, for being offended. I, spirit of offense, I cast you away in the name of Jesus. Get forgiveness. And then get rid of that thing. Um, and and that, that kind of humble surrender, that's what will keep us um, not just pure. You know, purity, what's purity by itself? Purity is only to be closer to the Father. Purity is only so that I can have fellowship that is unimpeded. So again, it's got to be the motivation of your heart. Can't be to be a better Christian, to not have problems in your life. That is not what the courts are for. And most of you are preaching to the choir. There were some that have not yet come. I don't know if they'll come now. That are very new to the courts that were coming today. That are just learning even what that term is. And that's why some of this is very important. But some of you know people and are talking to people about the courts. So we want people to understand what this means. And, uh, and I want to give you a chance to ask questions. But do you want to add anything to some of these points? I know you do. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Yeah, in sitting here, the Lord gave me a vision, uh, a, really a picture and an illustration of of our lives as we go from not knowing Him as Savior to knowing Him as Savior to knowing Him as friend. Okay, and if you can picture picture that you're on one side, the Father is on the other. Okay, and in between there is a couple of things. One, there's a whole bunch of walls, okay? But before you're saved, there's also this chasm. Just, just like, uh, just like when, when uh, uh, the rich man wanted Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and, you know, just to ease his tongue when he was in the, uh, basically in hell, the rich man was in hell, and Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, okay, there was a cavern between them, okay? 
That's what I want you to picture. Before we accept Christ as our Savior, there's a cavern. We can't possibly get to God. Because Jesus is our only way to the Father. Right? He is our only way to salvation. When we accept Christ into our heart, when we recognize Him as the Son of God, who came, died on the cross, rose from the grave, sits at the right hand of the Father, we invite Him into our heart as Messiah, we ask forgiveness for our sin, that chasm, we're brought to the other side of that chasm. Okay? But that's really where the journey begins. It's not where it ends. It's where it begins. Because now the chasm is behind us. But what's in front of us? Walls. There are walls of all different sizes, all different thicknesses, all different kinds of construction, all different heights. And you have us on one side, and again, this is the picture, the illustration God's giving me right now. You can picture you're on one side, God is on the other. Jesus has paid for you to even be there, right? He paid for you to cross that chasm. He's holding your hand, but what's he doing? No different than what he did on earth. He's pointing you to the Father. The relationship he wants you to build is with the Father. It's facilitated, as we've said before, through the Holy Spirit. But what's going on is you've got these walls. You've got these walls there. And Satan wants those walls there. When we get saved, sometimes some of those walls come down. Okay, but then there are other walls that are there. Sometimes there are walls that we put up. And you have to remember the Father, the, the courts is not a new concept. Okay, the Father has always been in the courts. The new part of it is that we can operate in the courts. In the Old Testament, the reason he brought the, the law was the, the court system was to prove that we had need of God. That's what it says. It literally proved our sin and that we had need of redemption. So, I'm just dropping everything. So now, as, as we understand the courts now, it, they'll probably fall again, but that's okay. <laughs> so, so now we have this, this concept that when we accept Christ into our heart, we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ, but what we have access to is this court system. I do want to paint a picture in two ways. One, when you go before the Lord, when you're, when you're sitting on your bed and, and you've closed your Bible and you're, you're just praying and you're talking to Him about your day, either what's coming or what has been, and, and you're just spending time with Him and you're praying... Okay, you are building relationship with the Lord. You're literally beginning to pull down those walls that are between you and the Father. Okay, some walls are a lot harder than others. Some walls usually are built with a foundation of what we call a paradigm. One of those paradigms could be that you don't believe the courts even exist or even mean anything. 
So these walls can be built on a strong foundation that that God is trying to break down. Now, when you go before the Lord and you ask forgiveness for, let, let's say, you know, during the day you did something and you feel bad and you go before the Lord and you, you ask forgiveness for it, that is going before the courts. Understand that you are going before a righteous judge asking forgiveness with an, an accuser to your right saying, yeah, but they did this, but they did this, but they did this. And when you ask forgiveness, the Father is saying, so what? They ask forgiveness. And it, it's wiped clean. Why? Because Jesus' blood is covered all over them. Right? So, so that is going to the courts. I don't want you to think that, that you're not going before the courts every day. But there are different, I don't even like to say levels, but different understandings of what can be done in the courts. Now, what we also do, and what the Lord has taught, taught us, is how to be an intercessor in the courts for somebody else. Okay? And, and we have, we have, I think, I think the entire team that usually goes is here, but they, they can answer some of those questions as well. But, but literally, we, we can go as witnesses or intercessors to find out things that that person is unaware of. Now, could this have been done on your own? Perhaps. I, I'm, I'm sure that God has always made available his court. But this is how he has taught us to access it. Well, let me just say, yeah. to your point, you know, there was a case recently in the news of a person that was, um, uh, I've just heard about it, it was not in this, in this country, it was in another country. This woman who dealt harshly with her child in a store, and uh, somebody from the the um, like social services, whatever of that of that country, I think it was Australia or something, took her in, and she was arrested. Her child was taken from her, and she was a, a godly woman in a church, and she dealt with her. Her child had some very unique needs, and so in that scenario of what happened, she had to deal harshly, and it was misconstrued. When she went to court to defend herself, there were like two hundred people that came as witnesses that knew her, knew the family, that stood up for her. And the judge, literally, after the case was presented, seeing how many witnesses she had on behalf of her not being an abuser, said that the case was closed immediately in her favor. So, you know, when you look at the human mirror of what the courts are, our prayer for others is huge. Our prayer for ourselves, but when we... Are the more people that we can pray. That's why when we pray to, uh, every night on the prayer call, we go to the courts every single night at 8.30 in ignition, praying for our nation. Other remnant groups across this, this globe, really, have been praying to the Lord. And that is why you're seeing a shift in this nation, in leaderships. I mean, it is breaking forth before our very eyes because people raise, have risen up and have come together united. That's the issue of this, this witnesses in court. So yes, you have your advocate, but witnesses are very important. Intercession witnesses is huge. Yeah, and that's, that's what he's taught us at, at, that, at the level that we've been doing it. There is another level that, as Alex alluded to, he's been teaching me, and, and I won't get into that now, but, um, but that is literally fighting for nations, fighting for areas, stuff like that. But I, I want to point out the, the goal, okay? The goal in this entire thing 
should be your goal, but it's certainly God's goal, is to break down those walls. Right? You can talk to somebody on the other side of a wall, right? But it's difficult to have that conversation. When that wall's down and you're together, then there's nothing impeding that conversation. There's nothing impeding that relationship. And, and that's God's goal. When we have access into the courts, it is to get rid of those walls. It is to bring that relationship to a place where, where there's no impediment. Where you understand what he is saying to you and, and, and you become this community together. And, it, and it's, it's certainly between you and God, but it's also with other believers. The court is also powerful in uniting other believers. He's been showing me so much about, about what he wants to do in his bride and it all has to do with unity. That can't happen with those walls up. And, and it's also something to understand that when you, He's given me a picture now. When those walls come down, when there are no walls, or, or even as walls come down, you have to understand that you are placed on a battlefield. Right? It, it's just the truth. You're placed on a battlefield, and what happens in a battle? Okay, you take punches. You take grenades lobbed at you. And, and it's your choice. It's your choice. If you want to build a relationship with the Lord, that is the cost. You know, Jesus said, count the cost before you move forward. He told his disciples, count the cost before you move forward. You know, other disciples that wanted to join him, he said, he said count the cost. Understand that the Son of Man has nowhere to even lay his head. Count the cost. But what I would say is don't let the cost turn you away from what that brings you. Because relationship with Him is the ultimate prize. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize. What is the prize? The prize was relationship with Him. And, and this purity of that relationship. You know, I, I, I have it, any of you have seen my Facebook thing, which I'm hardly ever on there, so uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same. But it, it says, it's got my picture with Alexis, and it says, Jesus is my best friend. I didn't put that up there as a tagline. I put it up there because he is. And see, I understood that in, in him becoming my best friend, there would be a cost. It doesn't mean that when those walls come down, that I just get to live this happy life, this easy life. No, why? Because there, there is a much greater call than yourself. And that call is the unity of the bride, the unity of others, the, the combining of our relationships. That's why God said that the most important thing is, is love Him and then love each other the same. Right, so, so understand that the courts is all about purifying that relationship. Whether it be you going there on your own, whether it be you going there in a setting that helps you know think, think that things are there that you don't know of, that you're unaware of. Which, by the way, in the Old Testament, that was done through the priests, and specifically for the nation, the high priest. But now, you have that same opportunity and it is no different than going before him just just on your own.
One other quick thing that, that would be a disservice and that I've already seen happen with some people that have gone through the court. Everything about that he said that this isn't new. See, one of the cultural spirits that's affecting this nation for sure, you see it everywhere, is this kind of a victim mentality that people can't, there's this helplessness of, um, of, you know, it's affected our youth, but, but even other ages, where somehow, if somebody doesn't do something for me, it won't get done. What we don't want anyone to feel with the courts is that by going to the courts, if I don't go with these people, if I don't go in this structure, I won't get freedom. And even though it's a helpful process, you have to decide with your own free will that you can go before the Lord every single day and ask for forgiveness and get this. Because sometimes people think that, that I went through the courts and so now it was done for me. Almost like, um, like okay, shoot, I went through the courts and now I'm clean. And, and without directly holding their hand or, or because the courts are over, now I'm kind of back to this weak place I was in before. This is only, you're always going to have the body of Christ if you're in fellowship and, and like James 5.16 says, you confess your faults one to another to be healed. And then it goes on to say that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It makes, produces great results. So yes, we have each other. But when you see the courts as a, okay, well, let me go through the courts because I just don't know how to do any of this by myself. That may be true, but be careful of that victim mentality that says, I can't be strong in my Christian walk unless everybody is right there holding me. You need to see that the strongest advocate you have is Jesus. And that's why I was really glad I was hit so hard after the course. It turned out to be the best thing I could ever have because I wasn't in a setting where anybody could help me. Now, a Christian brother in my husband reminded me, as the body of Christ does, that, hey, he doesn't have authority. You can break that off. Praise God. And so you have those resources. But some people have asked, yeah, I just, I'm struggling with this. Do I, need, I need to go back to the courts again. Not necessarily, okay? If you see that as the be-all, end-all, then there's something missing about what you understand about your relationship with Jesus. Do you know there are people that go to conference after conference after Bible study after Bible study, and they just they hop from one thing to another as they're juiced because they don't know how to get juiced in the secret place. They need an external help to hold their hand to carry them through because they don't understand that intimacy. So even though we, you know, he thousands and thousands of times now, Greg has preached on that. It's it's got to be your own spiritual epiphany with the Holy Spirit to grasp that you know you have to decide of your free will that okay this is made available to me. I came into the courts humanly with witnesses, with a seer to get freedom. But as I step out now, now what's going to hit me, I now can take those steps. If you need a review on how to take those steps like I did, hey, you reminded me, get, get rid of it. You might need that. But it doesn't mean that you're just helpless until it gets so bad again that you've got to go back to the courts. And yes, you will have a barrage of attacks that will hit you in different ways. Some people's attacks come in a more manifest way. You know, like I was even saying to Yvonne on the way here, that I, I got hit this week with various things that came against me. 
in where I am with the Lord, it may not manifest to anyone outside of the closest people to me, like Greg and Brooke, you know, at home, who understand as adults when I'm going to. <laughs> well, but I'm talking about an adult. But, you know, because she said, what? She said, what kind of thing hit you? You know, and I didn't even have time to explain. But, you know, I mean, there there are things that will always hit us. And so I have to go back to those fundamentals every time of asking God for forgiveness, getting rid of it, putting on that armor that, that is, it's not a taking off and putting on as much as it's just um, walking in that purity because your armor is on uh, unless, you, unless there's a wall there that takes them off. So, but I, I want to encourage you and then I want to ask you guys uh, what is the first and foremost question that you have um, of maybe confusion about the courts or a need to... Yeah, let me, let me make one comment about the armor because it, I, I think it is confusing to people sometimes about, um, well, putting on the armor, taking off the armor. You know, it's not something you wake up and, okay, I'm going to put on my armor today and then you go to sleep, I'll put it in the drawer and put it back on in the morning. That, that's, that's not what it's talking about. Right. The, the armor is something, first of all, you put it on through your obedience in Christ. Okay, and, and literally what happens over time, and, and, and I've seen this, is that your armor gets upgraded, is the best term we can use, as God places you into new and different things, which is honestly new and different battlefields. Okay, but your, your armor gets such that by, by putting it on, you're being obedient and He is upgrading your armor. So the armor you start with, if you're, if you're growing in relationship with Christ, is not going to be the armor that you continue with. It will get upgraded. And it will uh, be what you need to step onto that battle, battlefield with. And I was just only going to say that, that every day, the nature of God is that the most precious thing he gives us is our will. So even though you get a righteous, clean verdict in the court, tomorrow you still lay down your will mm-hmm. to God. And if we don't go and, and by the nature of our will, our intentional receiving the closeness that he offers, remember he stands at the door and knocks, if any man will open the door, he'll come in and he'll stop. But he knocks. He never rushes through the door. That's Satan's tactic. Satan's tactic is to dominate, to overtake. God comes and offers. He offers. You know, when, when Jesus was saying in Matthew that... Um, that his burden is easy and light. If you take his yoke upon you, he'll give you rest. He gives rest, but you still have to receive it. He gives the gift of salvation. You still have to receive it. So that's where, don't think that the courts is something that happened to you that, whew, oh, I went through the courts, man. Now I could just coast, man. This was tough. This was tough. I'm so glad I went through the courts. I am fixed up now. What's next on the agenda in my life? No, it is yeah. it is an everyday. And 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 then lastly, I'm so sorry. This was just this has just been bugging me because these paradigms are what will trip us up. By nature, because you know, when Greg talks about cost, the cost of being in the battle, it doesn't mean you get to choose that you're not in the battle. Mm-hmm. By nature of being a believer, you are in a battle. If we go to war with Korea with North Korea, let's say, let's say there is an absolute we're really technically at war, but I mean if there was a ramped up war. You cannot, as an American citizen, decide, I'm not at war with them. Try it. Try showing up and saying, yeah, I'm an American, but I'm, I'm not at war with you. 
that's essentially what Otto Warbier, or Warmbier went through when he was there. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to indict his heart whatsoever. It was a terrible situation. But I mean, he went there and did not take seriously what, as an American, he was represented as in that country. Mm-hmm. When you are a believer and there you are at war with another kingdom, you can't just decide to say, hey man, you know, they want to get into that battle. I'm just chilling over here. No, you are in the war because you have to choose you this day whom you may serve. So that's an important thing. Christians often think they can sit on the sidelines and not be affected. Honey, that ain't working. You are in the war no matter what. So that's just a, that's a deception of the enemy to think that there is even a sideline. There is of your effectiveness, but not of the war. Uh, now, on the front lines, and there are different levels that you're called into, he got an upgrade of his armor recently, the Lord revealed. And while that may be a cool thing, from a human standpoint as his wife, I know that he got that upgrade because of the battle that he's about to step into, which he will be very victorious, but I know that he will face things that are very difficult. And um, God is there. Mm-hmm. And when you're called and when you're willing to lay down your life, um, you know, uh, Peter went on to... to do amazing things after all of his faith was tested and you know he 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 failed and he was forgiven and moved on but i mean when you give your life and you give your all um there's a there's a level of suffering there's a level of rejoicing just like paul but even in the worst of conditions paul was rejoicing and i know that you know that's what we're called to do too so so we can't don't let the battle freak you out and that's really hard for me to say you know it's easy to sit here all you know like whatever you know, you got the microphone and it's all conceptually makes sense. But, but the truth is when the battle comes and it, and it hurts and it lasts a long time, it's hard. It's really hard. And we need each other. We need to show up to court for one another. Be yeah. witnesses for one another. But we have to believe we are overcomers. Yeah. That there is freedom to be had. That is the main thing. So um, I wanted to open it to questions, especially yeah. those of you that came particularly hungry to, to have a question answered regarding the courts. And, and I know we're mic'd, but just, uh, this is being recorded because there's a few that could read it. Not recorded online. It's recorded it's for some people, for some people in the church that couldn't be here. Yeah, so don't be afraid if, if you want to say something in the mic. Um, yes, back to talking about motives. Um, with the examples that you gave about Peter and Joe. Uh, did Satan have the right to sift Peter and Job because their motives weren't 100% pure? Um, or was it like a refinement of faith or just because we're in sinful flesh? I know you touched on that, but if you could explain Yeah, that. and I think from what we need to do is have the question go into the microphone. I'll try and repeat that. The, yeah, the question, and that's an, actually a fantastic question that I was even going to add in your original explanation of it is, why did Satan feel that he had the right to take motives before the Lord and test those in cases of two people that, you know, Joe was living for the Lord, Peter was living for the Lord, but, it, well, and I, I don't want to go on to answer it. You go ahead. Yeah, and some of those things... Um, I'm just going to tell you what I believe and what I believe God's told me. Um, but I, I would say, you know, Acts 17:11. You know, take what I say and search Scripture, and 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 the Lord will speak to you regarding that. But um, I don't believe it was coming from a place of of their 
their motives to be wrong in their heart, because Satan doesn't know our heart. Satan doesn't know our thoughts. Um, I think Satan has a right because of how we're born. Satan has a right because we're born in sinful flesh. And that's passed down ever since Adam. And, and he took that right. Adam literally gave that right when, when he chose to sin and knew what he was doing. So, so when we're born in sinful flesh, Satan can always have the accusation that, well, of course, their motive is this because you do this. But if you did this, then it would be taken away in Job's case. Therefore, what Satan's saying is he really loves you because you make life easy for him and you give him everything. That's what I mean by testing his motives. His motives do not become faith in the courts until they're proven out. And that's a really scary sentence because think about it. And, and there's many, many scriptures to back this up. James even talks about your faith is not faith until it's proven with works, right? Faith without works is what? It's dead. So, so in your life, when you make a statement, and, and I, don't, I don't want to deter you from making these statements. I do. Lord, I will serve you with my whole heart, my whole life, with everything that I, that I am, with everything that I have. If you don't think a statement like that's going to be tested in court, you're you're crazy. I mean, it's it's like it's like Satan is and his team are are the the best ambulance chaser lawyers that the world's ever seen. They're going to try and exploit everything that they can exploit, whether it is true or not, whether it's the law or not. Now, the beauty of that is he does it with very little authority. He does it to gain authority, okay? But when he doesn't have authority, and when the bride, or as the bride rises up, understanding what he does, and beginning to fight in unity for each other, his authority will diminish. It's not a cycle he could continue if the bride were to rise up. But yet the bride has not risen up in unity since its inception, 2,000 years, yes. Uh, may I comment? Okay. Yeah, come up though and, and just speak into the microphone if you would, please. Uh, as, uh, as Greg was speaking and as we were talking about motives and faith statements being tested, um, I just felt like the Lord was telling me, you know, when Satan tests or accuses to test a faith statement, he really takes a gamble to do this. Because like Greg said, he doesn't know your heart and he can't read your thoughts. So all he has to go off of is history, the history of your own personal sin, the history of your generational sin, and then what you're presently doing. And so that he has to take an educated guess and it's a huge gamble for him because if he is wrong, then the faith is established and power is released Amen. to the individual. That's right. But if he's right, then it's devastating. Mm -hmm. But it's a gamble for him because if he's wrong, power and intimacy is released to the individual. Yeah. Amen. That, that's absolutely right because it's that testing that establishes the truth. 
And right. I will Truth is even, established in that testing. concept, by the way, I'll even add that when, when the Father judges in our favor, there's often restitution for the hassle. You know how when you go to court, you know, and you win your case, and, and then you ask for restitution for the, for the hassle or what you had to go through. The, when Jesus said, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, vengeance comes in the form of restitution. For him to have vengeance against the enemy on our behalf, we receive that in the form of restitution in, in various ways, which is awesome. Yeah. So I just have a follow-up question. Come to the microphone. I can actually take this to some people if you don't look it up. Okay, go ahead. Um, okay. So just uh, my follow-up question is, what do you say that... Um, that Satan has a right, which I agree, um, Satan has a right because of just the fact that we are in sinful flesh. What would you say then is the difference between, you know, moments where, uh, kind of what Shannon was talking about, you know, when Satan takes his gamble and, and tries to accuse us, you know, when we're living in righteousness based off of just our history and even past sins that we've conquered. Um, wh- I guess what is the difference between when the Lord says go ahead and when the Lord says absolutely not I don't give you a right to sift because I guess in my thinking is he'd have to have a right based off of our wrongdoing well I can answer that um, uh, it's based on your book it's based on, on what uh, what God has called you to from before time. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example of that, which, which is uh, uh, something I've been looking at recently. Um, first of all, Satan will always have a right to accuse. I shouldn't say have a right. Satan will always accuse. Okay, He will always ask to sift. What Shannon said was so true in the fact that once, when, when faith is not tested, it is not yet faith. Okay, once it's tested, it's established. Okay, perhaps after the establishment of that, he has no more right to ask that. Um, I, I think it depends on the situation, but a good example is Zechariah 3. When Joshua, not, not the one who took the promised land, but he was the high priest, and, and he was, you, you look, read chapter 3, and it's, the setting is a court setting. And, and, and Satan is accusing, and God literally says, I will have none of that. He said, I will not take that accusation. Why? Because he said, Joshua was an ember picked from the fire. Okay, now what that tells me is two things. One, he's been tested, and his faith has been established. Okay, and two, he was anointed for a very specific purpose that God said, Satan, uh-uh, he's, he's already proven himself to me, you can't touch him. What is the specific scripture to that? Say that again? In Zechariah? Yeah. Zechariah chapter 3? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a couple... It's I, the think fr- it's I think it's the first like section, seven or ten verses of chapter 3. Is that example, but but the bottom line understanding and paradigm is that that faith will be tested. Have, have you ever have you ever been been dealing with something in your life that you you make a proclamation of faith and then 
man, it's like three years later and I'm still dealing with this difficulty. And, and you, you waver back and forth on that faith. I believe that's the process of making a declaration being tested on that declaration of faith. And then there are times of failure sometimes. Now, there are also times of faith being built upon faith. Um, when you build a, you know, one of these skyscrapers in New York City, we're just up there. You know, some of those skyscrapers will go 40, 50, 60 feet into the ground. I think, I think the, the Freedom Tower was even a lot more than that. I think it went 100 feet into the ground before it even broke the surface to come up. Okay, it, it's no different with, with your faith walk with God. For him to be able to produce the fruit of those levels, those floors that are seen, he has to build that foundation underneath that nobody sees. That's where the testing is. That's where sometimes the persistence of time is required. We read the book of Job and we just kind of assume, you know, I... I read the book of Job in, in, in a few hours, and, and yeah, okay, well, you know, he dealt with this for a few days. No, that was over years. Yeah. Okay, do you understand? That didn't happen over a day. I mean, God took it away in a day. But his recovery of that happened over years. And then God's replenishment of that had to happen over years beyond that because he replenished his children, Right? And his family, and all the he he couldn't he might be able to give him the goats and all that in a day, but he's you know he's not here. Here's ten children, or whatever it was, seven children. So so this concept of time is what we deal with, um, especially as Americans. We get frustrated when it's not like that, really quick, and and our faith tests usually have a time element that that have to pass as well. Why do you think that we've been here, we're coming up on five-year anniversary from, from the first day that, that I heard the Lord's voice, right? And why do you think we're, we're, still, we're still in a house? We're still, you know, a small group of people. When, when in a program, I, I mean, I could have, I've built businesses faster than this. We could have built so much faster. If, if what we're thinking of is numbers, we could have already been there, right? But see, what God is thinking of is those foundations being built because of what he needs to do with those people. And that those foundations are being built in this church with each one of us, with individuals that, that will unite together as this army. And then he's doing this in other places that then he'll unite us with them. And, and all of a sudden, see, it, it's almost a stealthy way, if you will, of God being able to build this army where Satan was, where these people come from? Because it wasn't just a small group here, it was small groups all over that then he unites together. That same concept is mirrored in the human realm all the time. It's like a paying your dues. You know, you, you big corporations and companies, they're not going to take the newbie that just walked in the door. They take somebody who's been tested and tried, who's maybe dealt with certain circumstances and their integrity's been proven. And, and it's, it's 
you know, I think of Joseph and all that he went through, and yes, that was Satan's opportunity to afflict him with these problems, and then even get a little bit of favor, and then Potiphar's wife came after him, and he was tempted in that way. You know, he was tempted, just so many different ways he was tested. Why? Because in his books, he had to deal with the ultimate pressure of being the highest authority in the land, and deal with so many different situations. So there is a preparedness that why do we have to be prepared in that way? Well, all of these struggles are because we're, you know, we're, we're fallen in our sinful flesh. Well, why, why is there even sinful flesh? Because of God giving us a choice and all that stuff. So I don't know if that fully answers it. And we'll I have the next one. one more question. I promise. I could ask them at home, but I'm asking for you guys. But we don't talk to her at home. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk. What? Anyways, um, no, last question, though, is how, how would the faith and, and refinement purification, um, I can see, and I'm sure others can too, how that was applied to the example of Peter, you know, because obviously he was super gung-ho about Jesus, but then his faith was tested and he was able to establish that, that passion for the Lord. But how would... That that explanation you just gave to answer my previous questions apply to the story of Job. Well, Job is a difficult story because we don't know anything before him or after him. Um, we don't know even his placement in the Word of God. Um, uh, I I myself believe he is pre-flood, but we don't know. We don't know that um, he could. It, the the story does not give any outside reference as to the timing of of Job. So so it's hard to say using Job as an example that that uh, uh, because you almost have to understand the times around him. The only thing we do know is we know the reaction of his friends and and what did God do to use uh, it, it, when when God came back. There was a, there was a brief um, uh, the only word that comes to my mind is slap down. Um, that's not a technical term, but there there was a there was a brief slap down, if you will, of Job. Not much. It was kind of like you know, dude, you weren't the one that made everything. I was. I'm here now. You can just be quiet. But he came after his friends. Right, he came. Well, his so-called friends, and and he came after them to the effect that that they were not seeing the reality of what was going on. So in that way, you could you could apply that, um, and and it, it certainly, you know, took Job, who was an influential person before and loved the Lord, took him to an even greater height, even though in the process he lost everything. So, I mean, there are many, many uh, ways that you can use that story, um, but, but to, to really plug it into history and, and use the actual cause of it and effect of it, you can't because we don't know where that falls. And I would he, only, was, go ahead and come forward here. Do you that. just have a statement? Just, or? Yeah, I just oh. wanted to make a quick comment on that. I, I believe in, with Peter and with Joe both, that the faith was, they had faith, the faith they were doing is trusting, but as they went through and they were sifted, the confidence came. 
there was confidence in their faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I also think that yeah. Job, Job was um, able to just find out who God was at a level that's incredible. If you read Job, I mean, the, how God revealed himself to us. And I know my own afflictions, how God has revealed himself in his nature and his character through some of these testings that you just can't see the aspects of God that you can see sometimes in suffering. So, questions? Yes, um, thank you very much, Alexis uh, and and Greg. Um, In one of the illustrations you were using, you talked about um, the authority, and Greg said, shared with you after your court case or whatever that, the, uh, a spirit or something no longer had the authority um, and then you had to deal with that. Can you uh, share with us the detail of what you had to say and how you came before the Lord to again address that spirit of whatever it was that was afflicting or harassing you? Okay, great question. Um, and this has hit multiple people. I know I know that God did this to me because of the for a teachable moment, but See, because he is a constant accuser and he constantly goes after us, he, is, he, he tries to imitate the relentless nature of God, of his goodness and his love, and Satan tries to imitate that in being relentlessly attacking and accusing. And so I got freedom from the judgment and the oppression of this condemnation kind of spirit that, that came down on me in the form of this judgment. And it was... It was external, but I could feel it to the point where I felt like it was, like even before I understood the agreement, I could, I could feel it so strong around me. It's kind of like, um, I could just hear the voices. Just It was the voices of, of how low down and rotten and nothing that I was, you know. And it, it became debilitating to where, and the Lord allowed it to be debilitating to, to help me recognize that this is a darkness that wasn't just um, wasn't just a fleeting thought because I'd been through the courts and I got the freedom from it and you know oftentimes we don't recognize those thoughts. There's people that live with thinking it's normal to just oh I'm just you know, I'm just worthless and you know that's just you know that's just wrong. But it becomes so natural it becomes almost a paradigm we live with that people don't address it for what it is, which is demonic. So this oppression. I, re- I knew that I got freedom, and my expectation was that I was emotionally going to feel light and fluffy, and I'd be walking on clouds, and it would be wonderful. Because some have. Some have gone into a tremendous next level of just a beautiful thing. They'll, they'll continue to get hit, but it may not affect them emotionally, or at least not right away. What the enemy did with me is... He started to just shout at me, almost like uh, if my if my neighbors had lost a, a lawsuit against, and they had to stay on their property, and I won the suit, and they just decided to just shout that that no, we you know you didn't win against you didn't win against. they're 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 on their property line, but they're shouting so loud that it's kind of still annoying me and, and making me kind of go want a second guess. Well, did we get freedom? Man, they're shouting so loud. Intimidation and smoke and mirrors is a huge tactic of the enemy. Yeah. And if you if you don't discern through the lens of how victorious we are in Christ, you can easily think that what's happening is is either a allowed or that you've invited it in some way. And um, one of the examples, even before I go on in that story, that I often use in the human realm 
you might come into a room that smells strongly of body odor. Okay, well, you know, the first reaction is, you know, is it, is it me? You know, you smell. Not all stink in your environment is from you. Right. You may be smelling something that's on someone else yeah. that, and especially if you have either discerning of spirits or the gift of mercy, sometimes you pick up through your gifting and being sensitive in the spirit, you'll pick up something that I was feeling that Tuesday night, God identified to me that what was coming over me was something someone else was feeling. And, and so I've had to identify that that wasn't the case. So in this case, when I finally, it became oppressive to where he noticed it, and the Lord allowed him to say, what's wrong? Okay, because I was just not going to go to him. In fact, I just went about my responsibilities feeling it getting heavier and heavier. And the first little awakening that something's really wrong here was the suicide thoughts. That, that I didn't even use that word. That word never came to me, but this whole, what is even, I don't even want, what's the point? What's the point? You know, those thoughts, that's when you kind of go, okay, whoa, you know. That's when, and then, and then really it was almost equal to that time frame when, when Greg kind of looked at me and, and he, this is my response, he knew me, what's wrong? And that was my point of my pride. I realized how much pride I had because I would have gone to him hours earlier. But, you know, when you're wrapped in that stuff, you don't even know how to reach out. I wasn't even cognizant of, of the pride that was coming in. So then when I just said, man, I'm spiraling, something's just around me and I don't get it. You know, I just went through the courts like, what's going on here? And he just, boom, you know. And, and, and it, it was almost a stark, I was hit with truth that reminded me of what the sword of the spirit is. It, is, it just cuts through all the baloney. And he cut through. He cut through it with truth of, so get rid of it. They don't have authority. You know, like, like there, there's nothing more to talk about. We don't need to go on and on and on. You know, you don't need to take an hour in this cathartic, well, this is how I feel. And by the way, a lot of groups do that. There's a lot of groups that are all about just wallowing in the lies of the enemy and they think it's a 12-step program but it's a 12-step way to wrap yourself in more demons it's just weird but so he just cuts through the truth and it it, it jolted me and i kind of thought oh you know and so again like i said i went to the garage so when i got into the garage and i shut the door because i wanted to say it with a little bit of volume i said father forgive me forgive me and it was it was with an intensity of anger, knowing that he had unlawfully come, but I agreed with it. Because it wouldn't have affected me if I hadn't agreed with it. So I just said, forgive me. I know you took this from me. I know you took this from me. Forgive me. I, this is not me. This is, these are not thoughts that I want that I agree with. So I just ask you to forgive me for anything I have been in agreement with. And I command I went right into it. I mean, didn't take a breath. I just asked for forgiveness because I know I have it from 1 John 1, 9. And then I went right to, and I command these demonic spirits, this oppression over me now, spirits of condemnation and judgment, I command you to be cast to the abyss right now in the name and blood of Jesus. And knowing the truth of the word of God, I'm telling you, it it just broke. It broke off. I have used that in countless time since then with little things because when I get in my car in the morning, that's my time out loud to pray, to praise. Sometimes I don't even know what's happening. Sometimes things are swirling around you so fast you don't even know what's going on and that's why I'm a big believer in memorizing but then also speaking the word of God so that sometimes I can just say, behold, God, 
It's Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. I'll just say things. I don't emotionally feel it yet. I may still be struggling. I may still be sad. I may still be down. But it's got to come out my mouth. The only thing I can do is eke that out. And some of you know in the court battles we've had, when you can just get the name Jesus out, or you can just get the name, you know, get the truth yeah. of the Word of God out. And then sometimes even just saying Jesus. Yeah. Um, but, but there does have to be that faith that I had to decide with my will by faith that I was going to allow God to be the victor that I believe him to be. Yeah. You know, and that's why I love, you know, that second Timothy one twelve, the the latter part of that, for I know whom I have believed. I know whom. I don't just know what I believe. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, fully convinced, that he is able to keep everything that I've committed to him. In the courts, everything that I've committed unto him, he is able to keep it against that day. So I didn't even though he helped me, I could have just gone to him. What do I do? You need to help me. That's not a bad thing. But he cannot help me usurp my will. Neither will God help me. God will. He God offers freedom every day. He offers help every day. We have to receive it every day. We receive it all the time. That's you know. And until I'm delivered and I'm in my glorified body, as as sin hits me, I'm constantly at a crossroads of choice. Could I step out of the will of God even today and step out of all of the books that God has for me within ignition? Yes, I can. My free will is not usurped. Now, God has me so wrapped in his arms because of where I am with him that I have to deny and defy a lot to do that because of where I am. But we do, we can do that. And that's why the courts is fantastic for freedom, but it is not the be-all, end-all to our, our battle. We are in our battle. So I, does that, is there any other part of that that needs to be answered for you? Or? That was excellent. Uh, just the, um, the thing that you said out loud, because for that was for this, when you confessed, repented, yeah. for, uh, you did that out loud for the Spirit's benefit. Yes, I named the Spirit, because I knew at that point Thank that, you. again, as I go to the Lord, remember, every time you're in prayer, you're before the throne of God. You en- I'm, I'm entering it. And, you know, when, when Hebrews gives us the the verse about going boldly. You know, if you read the verses before that, it's all about the fact that he's allowed us behind the veil. You know, the veil is removed, that we can come before him boldly, that we may obtain mercy to find help in our time of need. So yes, I'm before the Father, and to, to cast them, I could not possibly do it in my mind, because for the benefit of the court, I'm saying, I'm receiving forgiveness, forgive me, and now I cast it. I now have the authority because of Jesus, not in my own strength, there is no authority to cast without the name of Jesus and without forgiveness of sin. So I name it. Now, was I positive of the exact name? Because if I, if I can, I usually try to name what spirit is, is bothering me. But I, I felt in my spirit, the Holy Spirit was saying it was judgment and condemnation. So I named those and then cast them to the abyss in Jesus' name. And by the way, I do recommend you saying abyss. Cast them to their to their destination, not just cast away. Sometimes that's just semantics, but sometimes you have to cast them to the abyss. Because I knew from the court and from scripture through learning the court that that is where they go. And that's where, and I'm telling you, it's been there's been a a weak attempt for him to hit me with that. He still tries. Certainly he still tries, especially if somebody hurts my feelings. That's when it will rise up. But I just squash it like the bug that it is in, in that same process. 
And I'll tell you, the more you do that, the, just like Shannon you know, identified, the more I do that, it establishes my faith in believing that I am who he says I am. And, I, and, and that, is a, that establishes me, and then you grow in greater boldness. So, um, that's, so every time we practice that truth, he is, he's destroyed in the courts. So he'll try a few more times. And you just, by faith, you persevere. You'll notice that the type of attacks that come against you will be, they will diminish in their strength because of the loss that Satan has in the victory that you get over the court. In the courts. You got a question? Deborah. Or comment? Or who's next? Come and say it into the microphone. Or whoever was next. I can next. hand it to you here. There's a little bit of room. Yay! Not too much more. Go ahead. Thank you. Um... One of the questions I definitely had was, what are the right motives to have when you go to the courts? Because you said one of the motives going in is, I just, you know, I just want to be happy. So you go to the courts to get free from it because you believe that once it's over, you'll, you'll just, you'll feel happier if you're free and like you really won't have to go through much. And you said that usually doesn't last too long because the motives are wrong. So what are the right motives? Well, I want you to comment too, but I just want to say, like what I said at the beginning, everything God offers us, he is first relational. He just wants, he wants us. We were created for his glory. We were created to enter into fellowship. So the, the byproduct is the freedom, is the blessing, is the favor, is the victory, all that. If that is what we want more than wanting him, then we know our motive is false. Even though those are wonderful things to want. It's like, it's like wanting all of his money when I married him. Um, you know, it's, that, it's like, would I, would I benefit from, from the blessings and all the, you know, the, the good things and whatever, his sense of humor. But if I'm marrying him for what he has, even in his personality, and some girls even this worse, they marry him for the potential that they think they have. Ooh, that's dangerous. Don't marry a person for their potential. Marry them for who they are. And let God grow. But that is, that, Jesus just wants us, like Cody Banks' song, um, Nothing Else, the name Nothing, you gotta know that song. Cody Banks, Nothing Else, worship song, it's, it's called Nothing Else. Just wanting you. I just want you and nothing else, nothing else. That's gotta be our motive. Go ahead, because I know you want to. Yeah, and the, the, a person who is hooked on drugs, okay? Um, let's say let's say somebody who is saved, but yet they are a a heroin addict, and all they can think of is freedom from that. Okay, that's going to be a different motivation than you know being strung out on on drugs and and thinking, well, I need to have the right motivation of relationship with God. You're never going to get there. Okay, it is it is step by step. And that person's need, that person's need is to break off a stronghold that would allow them to see God clearer. Does that make sense? So it's, it, that's an extreme example, but it's the same with everything. Sometimes a person who is steeped in sin, steeped in pornography, for instance, so that's a big one. Okay, they can't pos- excuse me, can't possibly see the reality of their relationship with God. Because of what this means in their life. It, it's become their God. 
So, so the motivation for that to stop, okay, that's a good motivation. They may not even have the capacity of, well, I want relationship with the Lord, so they can't even think that way. But it it's kind of goes back to that picture of the walls between you and God. It's not just a single wall. There are many walls. Many walls of different heights, of different thickness, of different construction. And the, the goal is to break down the wall that is right in front of you, that you are aware of, that you know about, and, and, and choosing God over that. And, and when, when God takes certain things out of your life because you give it to Him, it will reveal avenues to do the same with others, with other walls. Do you see what I'm saying? Does it, you understand? Well, I just want to add that... You, but I, I do want to say something else, but you have you, you have that motivation for the freedom, like you said, because sometimes you can't think of anything else, especially if you're come, trying to come out of witchcraft or something really strong. Mm-hmm. But what will happen in the court, God will, he will take you through process back to that pure motivation. So you might not be able to be cognizant of that being the motivation, but when you get there... If all you want is to get rid of that thing, that will still be revealed in the court. Because ultimately, your motivation has to be him. But he will give you freedom to see him more. But he will keep, keep circling things around to where you find him to be the motivation. But every, every amount of freedom is great. And I would dare say it's probably it's the spirit of God or God. Because, again, believers are the ones going to court. But it's the Holy Spirit that's prompting that desire to be free from that stronghold in the first place, to draw them there. Anyway, sorry, I just want to add that. Yeah, and, and, and it is it's something that I wanted to say in response to Bill's question. Um, the Bible says to be rooted and grounded in the Word. Okay, when, when, we, when we accept Christ into our heart, it's not... It's not that, okay, well, it's over, we don't have to worry about anything. No, we're, we're, we're then to dive into his word for the literal grounding and power that it, that it gives us in our walk with God, right? So, um, so many people want to skip that step because they just want an experience with God. They want to experience. They want to hear his voice and carry on a conversation, and many do, thinking that it's God, and it's not. And and this happens at many different levels because discernment of what spirit is speaking to you is not come does not come from a feeling. It does not come from well, you know, I, I just have a feeling it's this today, or have a feeling it's that. No, it comes from the grounding of the Word of God. You know, it's very specific. The the Lord tells us how to how to test spirits. But but if we if we listen to what the voices are telling us, and sometimes those voices are audible, sometimes they're not. They're just feelings, right? But it's the same thing. If if somebody is telling, like what Alex was saying, those voices that were telling her she was nothing telling her that nothing really happened, and telling her that she's worthless. Okay, if she buys into that, then that's how they gain authority. It's listening to the wrong voice. 
it's not recognizing that the enemy is going to have a voice as well. You know, when, when God opens us up to the Spirit, He doesn't just, He can't, by His own choice, He can't just open, well, I'm just going to open you up to the good stuff. No such thing. He opens us up to have ears to hear. So when we hear, we hear, we are both. We can receive both. I can listen to to God's voice, or I can I can listen to an enemy's voice, and and so if all we're wanting to do is take care of just our own feelings, we can buy into a voice, and and one of the worst thing, oh my goodness, one of the worst things you can do, and and I didn't even know this before, but it, it, God has brought this so heavy um, to my spirit. One of the worst things you could do is write it down. Don't write it down. Oh my goodness, that's worse than speaking it out. And speaking it out is bad enough. But if you're writing your thoughts in your journal about maybe how you think you are worthless, don't you think that's going to be used against you? I mean, and, and in a powerful way. Why? Because there is, there is physical proof that you are literally speaking against yourself. Unless it, unless it is in the context of, I struggled with this, but God, because you'll see that in the Psalms, obviously, that, that David was saying all these terrible things, but then he always, always ended with the truth. It's like, mm-hmm. these are the barrage of thoughts hitting me, but God. So it was only expressed through the lens of what God helped him overcome. Yeah, it's, it's not doesn't about, mean, yeah, doesn't mean it's not about recognizing who we would be without Christ. You know, we're, we're all nothing without Christ. Absolutely, we're nothing without Christ. But with Christ, we're everything. And we have everything. And, and so, so uh, boy, if, if the bride could just learn one thing, that it wasn't about their feelings, they would, they would just leap ahead in relationship with Christ. Because Satan gets into our feelings. And he makes us feel something is wrong, or feel a certain way, and then we begin to question it, and we begin to agree with it. Um, if you can repeat my statement or my question. Yes. So, if you have written something like that, what then do you do? Do you burn it? Do you write? Do you recant what you said? You know. Uh, yeah, Bill, Bill's question is, if you have written stuff like that, you know, what do you go back to do? I, I think that, um, uh, do you burn it? Do you recant it? Whatever. Um, it is what you physically state before the court. You know, there, there's evidence of Adam's sin. It's written in Genesis chapter 3, right? Uh, there was evidence of his sin for us some 5,000 years later, 5,700 years later, we get to see that. We see evidence of his. It was written down, and it's there for everyone to see. But it was also repented of, and then it was also conquered when Jesus came and died on the cross. So I don't think you need to go back to your journals and burn all the journals, okay? Um, what, what I think you can do is you could go before the Lord and say, this is not how I feel. And say it out loud. This is not how I feel. This is how I felt that day. But this is not me. This is not who you declare I am, Lord. And I do not agree with what I wrote in my journal. Mm-hmm. 
it's really probably no different than people who, who know your past. That's why people get intimidated when they go back to family reunions. It's like, boy, when I go back there, they know me as that person in high school yeah. that I, that's not who I am now. There's always going to be the accuser, but when, that will use things, but just like with our past, when you know that, yes, did those things really happen? There's an evidence of account of many people, perhaps, that saw me at a party doing X, Y, Z. But who I am now is covered by the blood of Jesus because I dealt with that in my declaration of confession of sin and removal of that. I cannot remove my actual history, but it's covered under the blood of Jesus. And any reference to a testimony of what God delivered us from is only through the lens of what Jesus did in my life. And, and that's the difference between your testimony being shared as just a venting of all the yuck stuff you were involved in. Have you ever heard of somebody give a testimony and you're kind of like, why does this just feel weird? And then, and bad and dark. And yet other people will share a testimony of coming out of drug addiction or pornography, but they, they're sharing it through the lens of look at what Jesus did, because this is who I am now. And so that's really the thing. There are cases where God leads people to destroy things that they've written, um, but it, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to erase it completely. So, all right. So, Will, are you you're next? I think. Okay. Did that? Did that answer? Okay. Yeah. Cool. To go back to the sifting and what Satan uses. So, when we're in the courts, the biggest thing that he seems to use is fear, mm-hmm. deception. That the, the enemy uses. Right. Yeah. Fear, deception, condemnation. Um, you know, the, the easiest sins that we are able to fall into that he gains authority through the smallest ones. So he gets authority to go to the bigger ones. Um, the the funny the, the thing is that we don't always remember is that even as soon as we're saved, we automatically have authority over all of it. Um, you know, I, I constantly reminded, and I, I just shared it with Greg again this morning, and, and God pointed out to me in this morning in Colossians two that once he died on the cross, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took them away by nailing them on the cross. And in this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers, authorities, and shamed them publicly by, by his victory over them on the cross. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we automatically have authority over them. They don't have authority over us. Um, so, but it's easier to fall into the smaller ones for him to gain authority with the big ones. Yeah, now I'll say something to that, because... Um, uh, Authority is a two-way street, okay? Um, and and one thing I've noticed is Satan really does very little, okay? Um, in fact, the only thing that I can even recognize that he did was with Adam. Everything else he has others do. And there's a reason for that. It's because there's a risk. When, when there is something that has authority in your life that is, that is dri- driven by, uh, you know, a, a, a demonic authority, then when you ask for forgiveness and you are made free of that, it does a 180. Okay, it, it isn't like, oh man, I just lost authority, okay, I guess I'll go look for somebody else. No, now all of the sudden, the master becomes the slave. Okay, so what had authority over you, you have flip-flopped in the court and been given the right of authority over that. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so, so there is a big risk, and, and the reason I want to point this out is because as you grow in your relationship with Christ, 
you will find that when you're tested and, and when, when, when that testing becomes proven and true, um, they're a little less apt to go after you in certain ways. And it isn't that, I mean, Satan will send the demon after you. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if he loses them. He may, that's a long story, but he makes more anyways. He doesn't care about them. Okay, but they also can't affect the big things. And when you start to get into your walk with God, into your calling with God, that takes you to these higher levels of warfare, it is a higher, much higher risk for the enemy who has taken authority or tried to take authority because now you have authority over it. That is part of God's plan. Okay? I, I won't take the time right now, but, but there is a... There's historical record and ties of the authority that the destroyer had in my life. Okay, that was, that was the one accuser that I could not finish in court at the time I have since. Because the timing needed to be correct. And, and he took a, he took, took a great risk in taking authority because at some point, that authority can be turned around, and it's the same in everyone's life, and 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 so. But to your point, I want to make an added a little something with what Will said. You're talking about faith. When you said it's important we remember that scripture, which that's an awesome Colossians two is fantastic. Our faith is important in our victory. We may have authority in our position in Christ, but our power. You know, why could the disciples not cast out the demon of that demon possessed boy? You know, and they went to Jesus and they said, why can't we do this? And Jesus said that this kind, this kind of power can only come through prayer, and in some translations, prayer and fasting. And what he was saying is it didn't mean the disciples didn't pray. He was referring to this place of abiding that is so, you're so close in your walk with, in intimacy, that, that the level of power, Jesus was so in sync with the heartbeat of the Father, doing his will and obedience, that he just exuded power. When he entered the synagogue at one time and the demon-possessed man comes out and says, why have you come to, to do this? All Jesus did was enter. And the force of the presence of his holiness and righteousness just agitated the enemy. So, yes, we have authority. But the measure of the authority that we are able to exercise and wield against the enemy is built in our intimacy and in our walk with the Lord. And that's where Christians get into trouble. And I know of a a pastor who um, who preached a, a series, actually, and he called the series, Yo Problem is Witches. And did a whole series, and, and biblically speaking, it was very correct. But I, I had such a heaviness in my spirit that some of this, you know, he was taking these principles and almost trying to poke a bear that through intimacy and humility in his relationship with the Lord that he did not actually have. Mm-hmm. And you know, he was killed. Yes. It was very sad. Uh, they had a, they, I saw another YouTube video that was just a, a memorial to him, and it was a very bizarre how he died. Very bizarre. Mm-hmm. I, I knew immediately that it was, was witchcraft that overtook him. And, you know, that's not who we are in Christ, but we have to be very careful that we don't just take, it's, again, it's, it's almost like extracting from God and from the Word 
something apart from the relation relationship with him. Mm-hmm. So yes, you have to have the two partnering together. You have to remember the truth of those scriptures, but then by faith, believing that. And that, I would dare say, with people that are, have mental battles, where the voices come, it isn't just, um, it, it's so much about knowing who you are. If, if I go onto a playground and the, the kids are screaming and yelling at me, okay, who do I belong to? I know my family. I know my father. There's only so much you can do to me because I know who I belong to. I fundamentally believe that. I, I'm, an, I'm not operating with an orphan spirit. Can you imagine an orphan in that situation being overtaken by bullies on a playground versus someone who's part of a strong family with a strong father with great power? They would have a very different reaction to those bullies on the playground. Mm-hmm. So it is how much we believe about who we are in Christ. But man, that Psalm 91, man, that's another one to soak, soak that up. And then and then there's some great ones, too, in, in um, with with Jerry the prophet. Go spend some time with Jerry the prophet and Jeremiah. <laughs> I love this prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't sure where she was going with that one. Anyway, yeah. Jerry, Jerry's got some good words. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, yeah, so anyway, I, I know we're, we're getting toward the end. We started late, so we're only just 10 minutes over our original time block, but any other well, I question? I it would be till 1.30 on So, yeah, any other question that t- to address or even expounding on something that didn't quite get answered? Think about your own journey, your own battle, and even somebody that you're interceding for. Um, there's another aspect of the course, again, that's about taking territory that I, I'm excited for what God is teaching Greg um, and what we're learning in terms of going after blessings. Let me get this to you, just uh, right here. Just a quick, um, you just mentioned it, um, interceding. Um, what uh, length or what do I do to intercede on behalf of others and as it relates to the courts, maybe, or even outside of the courts? Yeah, one, one thing that you can do, first of all, it, it depends if it's received or not by that person, but... Um, Intercession is is simply going before the Lord in your relationship with Him and praying for the other person. Um, I often will go if if I'm praying for a person or interceding for a person, I will go before the Father and I'll tell the Father of that heart that I know. You know, this is what I know of this person, and and literally, it's no different than than a character witness almost. When you go, when you go into a courtroom and you're just, you're a witness as to the good things of this person. Not the good things in and of themselves, but, but, you know, first and foremost, I'll begin with, they know you, right? They're your child. They know you as, they know your son and savior. They've received your son and savior. And, and, uh, just starting to point out these things and, and other statements they may make about their belief. In God, stuff like that. Remember, the accusers doing just the opposite. They they have almost a barrage plan where they come and accuse, accuse, accuse. It says in Revelation twelve ten that he accuses day and night. It's not that he accuses day and night because he has so many people to accuse. No, he accuses each of us day and night. And 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 so to stop that barrage or to go against that barrage that really really holds very little power until we agree with it. 
um, we go and we can be a witness for somebody else. And, and another thing is, and probably the most powerful thing, is quoting scripture to God. You know, we assume, well, you know, God knows scripture, why do I need to quote scripture to him? Because the declaration of that scripture, we have found that is, and they can all attest, everybody who, who operates in the courts, they can all attest to the fact that the most powerful thing we've done in the courts that shuts the enemy up is to quote a verse or to quote a passage. And it's like the, the father will not even hear rebuttal against it. So you could do the same thing. You know, we, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And, you know, and, and we've done that in going against abortion even. And, and we'll do that coming up. But uh, just tell them, repeat scripture. For this um, person and declare it over this person. I'll give you some resources on that that I thought I had with me, um, specifically in in praying for your loved ones um, that are really, really helpful. Because you heard of prayer strategies. We have a prayer strategy. What it is, is much like what he's saying. It's the Holy Spirit will reveal to you things to bring to the court as a witness on behalf of the person, but also as a witness on behalf of the freedom that God offers that the enemy has done. Like, for instance, the breaking of soul ties, which is um, these unholy soul ties that perhaps, like, if I was trying to, uh, if I saw uh, Brooke hit with a group of people, or, or a, there's sometimes there's a strategy of a person to come into your child's life or your loved one's life, that you know there's an influence there that something is, is not good, it's not healthy, and you have such a check in your spirit, this person. You can begin to, the Holy Spirit can reveal a, a, a prayer strategy through the Word of God and other, other declarations about the character of, of your loved one to break that, that strategy in Satan's kingdom to keep that person around. Um, just like how you people have gone to court to try to get rid of uh, the influence of a drug dealer on their drug addicted you know child when they when they can deal with that unlawful act that 's directly affecting their their child or their their loved one, so there are many ways that you can fight in prayer, and God makes that available um, that 's why prayer is uh, prayer is, a, is a beautiful thing it, it's uh, it is going before the court, but God gives Jesus as our advocate it 's mm-hmm. like our lawyer is bringing this evidence through the written word that we can take and he'll he'll reveal portions of scripture that okay hey bring this to the father and he'll bring it to us through his spirit that we can then declare on behalf of what we want to have broken we've done that over our nation we've done that we've done that on behalf of even the president you know different things like that that you bring as the truth of the word of god of what he wants to do in in the life and it's an amazing thing but specifically our children this, there's some, some notes that I'll give you. Also, I want to recommend, um, and I, I we'll have those written in the outlines, um, and maybe in some of your cases if you're hungry for it before next week. There's a couple of YouTube, uh, real short ones. Um, Perry Stone has done a couple of um, videos on um, how to pray for your children that I recommend. It's short. And also just general demonic strategies that we are up against. He does a brief thing. He did a series of some some teachings when he was in Israel. It's not present day because one of the comments that he, I didn't notice the dates on it, but he was made a reference to a current day event and he was talking about Benghazi. So that, you, you, you could tell it wasn't necessarily modern day in, in today. It wasn't a recent one, but it was very good in the principles of 
how to recognize the various authorities that Ephesians 6.12 talks about. And I've done a lot of study on that because, um, like, like Greg said, you know, we've seen from personal experience now the lower ranking, I mean, there's just a whole different ranking of levels of different authorities that Satan uses. Um, and it's an entire, it's like a labyrinth of ways that he tries to come against a life. And, and oftentimes based on that person's book. So, you know, when, when there's ever a high calling and there's a greater amount of uh, training needed for that high calling, it goes two ways. It's like God allows the testing to strengthen us for that calling, but the calling itself is such an, uh, a threat to the enemy that he will then often want to sift us. So it's, it's like it works together. God uses, and, and that's what Romans 8, 28 is so great. He uses all, he works everything together for our good. Mm-hmm. When he wanted to sift Peter, why? Peter was going to be, you know, the, the, upon this rock, I will build my foundation. I mean, Peter was the beginning of the church. So there, I mean, there was, again, Peter had to go through a lot to do in his books what he was called to do, but his, actual calling was also a threat to Satan who has access. He doesn't have access to our heart and our thoughts, but he gets to see our books. And so he devises a strategy to come against us based on that. But we are always the victor. We have, we have to work harder and sometimes we suffer longer. But again, you know, we, we look at suffering and whenever we look in the human realm, we get messed up. Because if we're to always be victorious, if it's always true that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world then just like Paul said, it's not based on the shipwrecks. It's not based on when there's favor, when there's beatings, when there's he's in someone's nice home, you know, being cared for, or he's in prison. It's always based in whatsoever state I am in therewith. I've yeah. learned to be content because I'm in Christ. Yeah. So that's what he's teaching us, and it'll always mess us up when we look at the human realm of suffering. Does God give human realm favor? Yes. But that can't be based circumstances can never drive where we are in Christ. And like that's why Greg said it. Our emotions, if we respond viscerally and, and to, to all the things that happen to us in our emotions, will get tripped up. In Christ, hidden with Christ, is where that consistency will be. And it's like, yeah, we know, I mean, you know I'm, I'm telling you all this, and you know this, but boy, it's so different when you begin to live it out. So I was thinking before we started, I thought, man, if this was like a, if this was like a Weight Watchers meeting, and you were learning all the different principles, all the do's and don'ts, and all the ways and the strategies, and how to overcome cravings, and how to be victorious. It still fundamentally is, do you, when you walk out, are you, with your will, going to surrender to God's plan over, over your own flesh? You know, just like if you walked out of Weight Watchers, you could take all that information, it won't do you a hill of beans good. As soon as you start getting the whiff of that wonderful donut or whatever, you just go for it. You know, so, and then that's just a crazy example. But we do still have a choice. And every time we choose Jesus, we choose God, he will give us, he will make a way for us to escape whatever is coming against us. And not escape us into a, you know, wonderful, blissful place humanly, but escape any torment of our spirit. Because God's given us all spiritual blessings. Human blessings are not even really to be measured. It's like the spiritual blessings are. The fruit of the Spirit is where we get the blessings. So I don't know how you want to close Yeah, and, uh, I'm going to have Alex close uh, in prayer. But um, now remember, next week we're going to do a part two to this. And, and the Lord will guide in that. We want to 
have a lot more interaction in terms of questions, especially questions that you might formulate throughout this week. And, and we might talk also about um, some strategy, strategy in, in personal life, but strategy as a unit. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a unit. Ignition is a unit. Um, and, and you so maybe give us the questions this week. If you come across a question, message us. Yeah. And that great. way um, we can maybe do a better job at being as concise as possible for the sake of time to answer a question. I'd love, and maybe you had a question today and didn't, but because of the microphone thing, you maybe didn't want to come up here. But I would love to get your questions. Now, Satan clearly fought. I'm telling you, there were people here. There's, a, there's some people here that, not here presently, but people that are struggling and have desperate questions that I know. The fact that they didn't let us know they weren't going to be here means they faced something right before they came. So be in prayer for next week. There are people that wanted to come, needed to come, were just, I mean, we're working to rearrange it, and they did not show up today. And so I know that was not their intention, and, uh, and I knew there was a strategy coming against this. So please be in prayer for this. Um, because we do want to see people free. But many of you have great questions. If you give them to us ahead of time. Well, and, and there's there's a reason why it's a target of the enemy, because there there is immense power that God wants to to bestow upon his church that that is only done through the courts. It's only done through understanding relationship with him. And and you know, like we've said so many times, God is God is Finally, we're coming to a point in history where the reading of the bride is going to come to be. And that is only done with relationship. That is only done from us understanding what God has for us. And, and, and not just for us personally, but understanding what the tools that God has for us in that warfare. So, so we'll talk about that uh, next week, and, and perhaps we will make these these tapes available. We'll see. But go ahead and close us in, in prayer. God, we just lift you up. We just praise you, Father. We praise the name of Jesus. I thank you. Thank you, God, for everyone that came out. And, Lord, we, um, we don't presume to know anything about anything apart from you, God. We just need you desperately. We love you, Lord. We want to just be so hidden in your pavilion of your presence and and just um, just to literally be in sync with your heartbeat, God, that, that as the battle rages, that we are in step with you, God, even when we feel the bruises and sometimes the blows of, of the enemy, God, that you're right there with us. You are with us, that we need to fear no evil, for thou art with us. Your rod and your staff comforts us. God, I thank you that you, you even prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies, right there when we're faced with the enemy. You're right there with this provision, this table, of this bountiful table of all that you offer. God, I thank you. And we know that in you only goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, God. So I praise you for that. So I ask you, God, to, uh, again, let us just ruminate on what's been shared and the great questions that were asked and, and bring, um, bring about uh, greater clarity and, and just lead in, in next week's session that, um, that, that, Lord, that we would just be equipped 
for the freedom that you offer, Lord, because we just, we need it, we need you so desperately, and we love you, and I thank you again for Andrew and Comfort being able to be with us uh, in this, this special um, meeting, and, and I just praise you, God, you are so good, and I just uh, bring, bring the victory that you promised, and we, we can't wait to worship you again in the morning, in Jesus' name, amen.